Welcome to the RSP cast. Yes, the RSP cast. We're back. I haven't done one in a in a couple of weeks, it feels like. So it's nice to be able to revisit and have the first one in a couple of weeks with my man Felix Sharp from Campus to Canton. You can find him at campustocanton.com. And, uh, you know, we have a fun show today because we're going to get a chance to talk about um, players that we think have something to prove in 2023 when they return to college football. And then we're going to talk about wide receivers and evaluating that position. And that's going to be our focus for today. So, Felix, welcome back, man. It's great to see you. And, uh, you know, look, at, been looking forward to this. I definitely listened to the show uh, with Mark uh, while while I was gone. And, you know, I'm not a Game of Thrones person, so but I still listened to it. And I was, you know, <laughs> I was trying to digest everything. But, no, I, I'm happy to be here. You know, you have such a... Um, uh, passionate and um, educated audience just giving me the opportunity to speak for, to them for a few minutes is always such an honor and uh, I think this show is going to be fun fun because we get to crack open uh, the can on the 2023 season um, going into college football so I'm looking forward to it for sure so let's let's just get it started so what is this when it comes to you know when you say guys who have something to prove give us some example of some guys last year heading into 2022 who had something to prove that you feel like you know that you named last year in in your campus to canton podcasts and and out in the public sphere and and then kind of and then let, you can transition into who that who those guys are going to be for 2023 yeah when we follow these players from college to the nfl they're always trying to i mean these guys want to go to the nfl um, there can be obstacles to getting towards that path. Maybe maybe they weren't highly recruited and they have to start at you know a power five program that's not uh, doesn't normally put kids into the NFL. Maybe they have to fight up the depth chart. Maybe they have coaching changes, all that kind of thing. Maybe they transfer the end of their transfer portal um, uh, to get a better opportunity. So when I think of of guys just in the last couple of seasons who had something to prove, one of them is Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow, who was there buried on the depth chart at Ohio State and decides to transfer to LSU. And, you know, before that last season at LSU was not thought of as a first-round quarterback, let alone the number one overall pick, let alone, you know, what he's doing now where we have to consider is Joe Burrow the best quarterback in the NFL? And, you know, nobody ever nobody ever thought that. Um, even this, this past offseason, uh, uh, Jordan Addison was a safety an athlete who could have played either side of the ball going into college goes to Pitt. You know, Pitt's, Pitt's a fine school, but it's not Ohio State, Michigan, USC, Alabama, any of these schools. And so they got a know, lot of good the, pigeons. They got a, a, a lot of good pigeons. They got a lot of good pigeons. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that that field's more populated by pigeons than it is sometimes. I, you know, I, you know what? I know that I know that uh, uh, we've got a lot of my Austin Nace, my, my colleague at Campus Canada, is a big uh, Pitt fan. So, well, I gotta make fun of to... I gotta make fun of Pittsburgh. So, that's gotcha. just, gotcha. That's just gotcha. as a Cle- grown up in Cleveland, you being a Browns fan, yeah, that's just a, how it a works. Browns you know? fan. So, anyway, um, but but he wins the Bolitnikoff at at um, Pitt, and but can he do it on a bigger stage? Can he do it? Uh, you know, with the spotlight on him. So he transfers to USC, and I think that he largely answered those questions. Look at a guy like Jameer Gibbs. Love talking about Jameer Gibbs. Um, a, a, you know, mid-level recruit, four-star recruit, who is a uh, big fish in a smaller pond at Georgia Tech. But can he be a, a big fish in a big pond, transferring to to Alabama, uh, being the focal point of that offense? 
player with something to prove. Now, it's not always transfer, you know, transfer, uh, what have you. But those are kind of the things that I'm thinking of. I think that Jameer Gibbs, when he transferred to Alabama, he probably got some advice that says, yeah, you are a potential NFL draft pick, but you could really elevate your stock if you transfer to a program like USC or Tennessee or or Alabama and have an excellent season. Um, and I, I think he, again, is another player that has answered so some questions. So when I say something to prove, it could be either going to another program or I'm going to give some examples of uh, at least one example of a player who did not have the season that we expected them to have in 2023 or in 2022, can they have that season in 2023? So um, uh, players with something to prove, th those are the kinds of storylines that I'm tracking here today. Okay. So, so, you know, listen, before we even get into that, let's just say, you know, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, you, you know, and you enjoy college football and of course you're a fantasy player if you're if you're listening to this podcast i mean most of you are then you know that campus to canton um is a fantasy football league that integrates elements of college fantasy football and nfl fantasy football and dynasty fantasy football and in campus to canton leagues or c to c leagues for short each league manager has two teams in the league. They have a college fantasy team and an NFL fantasy team. So league mates compete against one another in both college and NFL fantasy, and they can win both sides of the league in any respective year. And then their college roster serves as a pipeline to their respective NFL fantasy roster. So, you know, you liked, you liked Bryce Young early. You nabbed Bryce Young in your college draft. He kills it at Alabama. Well, he's going to your NFL team. You get your opportunities there. You took a chance on, you know, a lesser known player and Isaiah Pacheco, and he starts to build his way up. And now he's on your NFL team, probably for cheap. And he's busting out for you when you needed him. So it's a terrific format. You can find out more about it at campustocanton.com. Really simple to get started. Go to campustocanton.com to learn more. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to getting started. I know um, right now I can't think anything about anything but film, but I am definitely looking forward to this year getting into a league. So, you know, I've been looking at my rankings, trying to get them updated. And this is a really exciting year because this 2023 class is taking a lot of talent out of, co out of college. Just thinking about the running back position, Bijan Robbins. B. John Robinson, Jameer Gibbs, Sean Tucker, Tank Bigsby, um, Devin Achain. You know, these guys who are kind of littered the top 10 to 12. And so now we have these players that we haven't seen play a lot, who are unproven, who haven't gotten a lot of reps, who don't have, you know, household uh, br brand name recognition. Even amongst, you know, the Devi and C2C community, there's a lot of new names and faces. So when I'm looking at my rankings, you just, you have like, eight or nine guys at each position that are familiar. And then it's exciting because there's a lot, a lot of new faces. And that's a, one of the things that I like about the challenge is, is really having to reevaluate every single year because there's such a revolving door in college. You know, we don't get to have Patrick Mahomes for 10 years. We don't get to have uh, 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 B. John Robinson for six years. We don't get to have Justin Jefferson 
you know, for, for eight years, you know, it's, we've constantly got to keep, um, keep up with the time. So that's one thing that I, I just love about the format, especially this season. But the that thing, cla- this 2023 it took a lot of talent, took a lot of talent. But the thing I love about it is that when you, you don't get to have them for that many years until they go to the NFL and then you do, right. then you get right. to have them yeah. forever. And then, then you, you and that's the reward for keeping up with them keeping up with all the change in the college game. So you, you know, absolutely all that leg work, you get to reap some benefits. That's pretty awesome. So, so, so yeah. So who's got, who's got something to prove? I'm trying, you know, I have these players listed and I don't have them listed in any particular order. I'm trying to think of where I should start here. I want to start here. Let's go to, you know what? Everybody's talking about coach prime. So let's go out to Boulder and I'm trying to buy my ticket soon to that first game. Uh, September 9th, they play Northwestern. And I want to see Shadur Sanders play. Shadur Sanders is my first player that I'll mention here as having something to prove. I have seen him mentioned in the same conversation with Drake May, Caleb Williams, players who are more established at a higher level of competition. Shadur Sanders was great at Jackson State, but it's FCS and a lower level of competition within FCS. You know, I don't know that we know how great uh, that competition there is. There, it, it is there in the in the SWAC, the, that HBCU conference. Um, I'm stealing some of these stats from my colleague Chris Moxley. Uh, Shador Sanders had a 71 percent uh, completion percentage of, of, of or excuse me, 71 percent of his passes were shorter than nine yards. So he's basically, you know, kind of game managing. Just for comparison, C.J. Stroud, uh, 59% of his passes are shorter than nine yards. Uh, Bryce Young, 62%. Uh, Will Levis, 63%. So those are guys who kind of attack more, attack the, the downfield more often than Shador Sanders had. Uh, he ranked uh, less than, than the sixth percentile in big-time throws. Big-time throws are uh, th- throws with location and timing further down the field. So, you know, in Colorado, for all that that Coach Prime is doing and that he may do in future seasons, they still rank like in the 50s in complete talent composite if you just look at their roster stacked up against other ones. And they have a really tough schedule. They got TCU in Nebraska uh, and then Colorado State to start the season. You know, sometimes when you're a, a Power 5 school, you start with like Chadron State or Western Michigan or something like that. They, they, they start on the road against the team that was in the national championship uh, game uh, uh, this year. So the first player with something to prove is definitely Shador Sanders. Now, they're going to bring in some more transfers. I love their offensive coordinator, Sean Lewis, who is the uh, head coach at Kent State. Kent State plays a up-tempo offense, you know, get the ball out. They spread the ball out a lot, uh, play with a lot of speed. Um, so that's going to work in his favor, but it's still going to be the, his first year in that system. It's still going to be, you know, a lot of new players in that system. They still, Colorado with Deion Sanders as head coach still has not gone through a full year in the recruiting cycle to bring in, you know, uh, new recruits. So it's going to be, I think the, the expectations for Sidor Sanders are, you know, r- r- kind of, they are they're they're ridiculous. I mean, to consider, I've seen him mentioned in the Heisman tr- Trophy uh, conversation. I don't. I think that some other players coming out of FCS. I think Bailey Zappi was a better player coming out of uh, Houston Baptist to Western Kentucky. I think that Cameron Ward uh, from uh, Incarnate Ward 
going to Washington State was a better player. So, um, you know, I think his name is is carrying a little bit of weight right now. It's going to be fun to watch this team. It's going to be really fun to watch this team, but I'm not sure uh, where the hype is coming from with Shador Sanders, specifically in regards to mentioning him in the same conversation as Caleb Williams, as Drake May. So that whole team has a lot to prove, but but him specifically, uh, uh, he's a player that's got a lot to prove given given the hype that uh, has, has surrounded his transfer to Colorado. That makes sense to me. And, and you, you know, it's funny. I, um, I've got a, I've got a couple of players that I would probably like to mention that at quarterback, just a, maybe from a different perspective of who I think have something to prove. And to me, one of them is Bo Nix. Um, the fact Bo Nix had a good year. He had a terrific year. Um, Bo Nix put him back himself back on the radar as a top potential prospect in the 2024 draft class. If from what I can tell, um, you know, the fact that you got Jim Nagy, you know, talking about him and saying, if you don't think Jen, Bo Nix is an NFL prospect, I don't know what you're watching. Um, you, you know, that's, that was his thought. Um, and I happened to see that in passing and I watched Bo Nix and I had, you know, the score I had for him to be honest was, yeah, he's an NFL prospect. Um, and I'll just put it at that. Um, but there's a big range between making a club and being a, a top NFL prospect. And I think he's got some, I think he may have some of those, um, you know, sand dunes to climb out in Oregon to, 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 to get to that point, but I can see how it's there. I can see how there's more there for his game. So can he build on last year? And can he show um, some improvement in the areas that when you've studied the film and not just watch the game and say, while you're watching the game doing five other things, saying, yeah, he's an NFL prospect. Well, how good of an NFL prospect will he be? I think that's where when the magnifying glass comes on next year, we're going we're gonna to get a chance to see him prove that. Um, you know, the other guy I'll mention at quarterback is Spencer Radler. Um, I, yeah, is he one of yours? So go for it. He was, he was on, no, he was on the outside looking in as far as, as prospects. You know, I, I was going to mention his name, kind of throwing it in there at the end. So, but no, I mean, you know, a guy that has, we like Will Levis because he has tools. Well, uh, Spencer Rattler has all, all of those things. And you see flashes of, oh, there's not that many people playing football anywhere that can make that kind of play. You see those types of plays with Spencer Rattler. Um, and I don't know why, I don't, I don't know why he can't put it together on a more consistent basis, but you know, the 40 yard laser down the field when he's scrambling to his left, you see that every once in a while, you know, uh, 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 that ball reaching uh, a wide receiver in the end zone after traveling 30 yards and still hitting the hands with pop. You see that from from Spencer Rattler from from time to time, but um, you know, in th th four years now, I guess uh, uh, he's not been able to do it consistently. Not under Lincoln Riley, and not uh, uh, under Coach Beamer there at South Carolina. So, um, no, he was going to be one of the players that I kind of threw in at the end. Yeah, pressure to me is the big thing with him. Can he handle pressure? 
Um, and I have real questions about that. With Bo Nix, I think he handles pressure pretty well. Um, I want to see him make more advanced reads and more advanced decisions. Um, and that's something that I think is, you know, getting getting acclimated and being your second year into a system will be helpful to determine some of that, what his comfort level will be. Are there any other quarterbacks on this list? Or are we moving on to some other other positions here? No, I've got, I've got two other quarterbacks on this list. Since you said escaping pressure and you mentioned Bo Nix, let's stay in the Pacific Northwest with a, a player that can – that is really good at escaping pressure. I would put him right up there with Bryce Young as far as escaping pressure. That is Cameron Ward. Cameron Ward from Washington State. Um, came from Incarnate Ward to Washington State with a, a lot of hype surrounding him, surrounding him. He won the Jerry Rice Award, which is given to the best freshman at the FCS level, threw for over 5,000 yards, I think. And he also brought his, um, his head coach, from Incarnate Ward, went to Washington State with him and became the offensive coordinator. That's Eric Morris. Eric Morris, an assistant under Mike Leach. He was with Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury at Texas Tech when Patrick Mahomes was there. This is a guy, you know, in the pocket, it's like defensive lineman chasing the chicken as far as um, his ability to avoid pressure. Now, when you look at his raw stats, he was very, you know, he, I, he was okay. 64% completion percentage, um, uh, 3,200 yards passing, 23 touchdowns to nine interceptions. But he has real problems down the field. Uh, 34% completion percentage on balls that travel beyond 20 yards. And in looking at – I remember watching him earlier in the season, the first couple of games, uh, there's a play where he scrambles to his right and there's no pressure. And so he's kind of kind of jogging to the sideline looking for an open player. And he's just looking downfield, looking downfield. Nobody's really moving. Wide receivers are not moving. Cornerbacks are not moving. Safety is not moving. And he just throws the ball directly to a safety. Um, and it's not like, you know, like the coverage, like he misread coverage, like somebody flashed in front of his face. It's just like, what are you doing? That was earlier in the season. Now, uh, in preparing for the show uh, tonight, I went and watched some, uh, some of his um, uh, later games, including – uh, the Apple Cup, last game of the season against Michael Penix Jr., one of my favorite quarterbacks in, in college football. And again, on deeper throws to wide open players, he's missing. And I'm trying to figure out – now, This is these are different misses. There's one where he is – there's a broken play where he scrambles to the right, and uh, uh, he misses number 12 on both of these throws. Where number, number 12 is coming across the field on a drag or something, gets open, and he has probably five, six yards of separation, sort of been a walk-in touchdown. Cameron Ward just misses him by two or three yards. D didn't have pressure. There's no – just misses him by two or three yards. There's another play. Again, number 12 is open along the seam and um, uh, just overthrows. And I think what it is is that um, sometimes the, the, the flashiness that we see from Zach Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, I think that they could af affect the fundamentals that players play with at, low, at the lower level, levels of the game when you go to high school game, when you go to college game, because you, you have no pressure – you know, you can just step up, keep your feet under you, and throw the ball. You don't have to throw the the second base, uh, you know, toss that we like to see the sidearm, the off platform stuff, off your back foot. You don't have to do that. You can just do be boring Tom Brady and use your fundamentals, get your feet under you. But by the way, I love when Tom Brady scrambles because you always see him 
gather his feet and get his fundamentals back, even when he breaks the pocket. A lot of players don't do that. And that's what I see from Cameron Ward, is that he wants it to look a certain way when he gets the completion. Like, if you just did it the boring way, if you just, you know, when you scribble to your right, your, your shoulder shouldn't be open to the wide receiver. It still should still be closed and you come around and throw. But he still, he wants to do, he wants it to look flashy. He wants to, it to look sexy. He has something to prove because if he can improve on that deep accuracy, and to me, that means just improving on the fundamental things, keeping your feet um, uh, uh, underneath you, not throwing off your back foot. He could be, he could be a first round pick. A, a lot of people in the draft community were projecting him to the first round in this class. He's going back to school, but I, I believe in that player. I do believe in in, in that player. He's got first round escapability, you know, from pressure. But you know, you can't. He can't be just a, a horizontal thrower slants, hitches, and stuff. You got to be able to uh, to um, attack defenses down the seam, vertically, et cetera, et cetera. And he just is not showing any consistency uh, in that area right now, but still one of my favorite players to watch. So something to prove. If he can improve on that particular aspect of his game, hitting open wide receivers, uh, you know, 15, 20 yards downfield, then he has the potential to be a day one or day two NFL draft pick. Yeah, it's it's amazing when you think about it. The the older you get, the more you realize that people care about things that they really shouldn't care about. They care, and 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 it's just a part of aging. I think part of maturing sometimes. And some people never get there. I mean, I know some people who are, you know, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty years old who probably wouldn't go to the grocery store. Um, or go out somewhere in public looking without looking a certain way. Like they, and I'm not saying like it's a preference. It's literally like it would cause panic attacks to do that. Now I'm not talking about, you know, and some of that, you know, may be driven by mental illness and will, you know, that's one thing that, you know, that, that requires a, a different conversation, a more sensitive conversation. But some of it is just slap plain out immaturity, you, you know, and, and, and when I'm, I bring that up because I think of the example of Drew Locke. Drew Locke is a perfect example of someone who's more, who was, from what we can tell, especially if you listen to his dad, was more than capable of doing things a certain way, but he wanted to do it a different, he wanted to do it the flashy way. And he got away with doing it the flashy way. And he got away with doing it the easy way until you had to show some fundamentals to do it when it came down to having to do something difficult and it had to be rooted in that. And I think that, you know, when we're young, we, we want to imitate the players that we admire and it's an innocent intention that can get kind of warped as you start to progress in your development. So, you know, you start off and you're like, you're playing in the backyard and you're like, you love Patrick Mahomes and, you know, or you love players who can scramble and make these off-platform throws. Say it's Matthew Stafford, and you're watching Stafford do all this stuff. And then, you know, then you get to high school, and Mahomes is suddenly the thing. And now you're now you're in college, and now you're making these plays, but um, your coaches are still in your ear. 
you know, whether it's your private coach tutor, you know, or whether it's your, your high school coach or, or it's a college recruiter or it's somebody saying, you know, you got some things to work on, but you have a bright future. Um, what they, they don't hear you've got some things to work on. They just nod their head and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. They did. But what I took away from this is they say I could play at Missouri. They say I could play at Alabama. They could say, they say I could play anywhere I want to in the country. Are you coming to us? You know, that's what they hear and, and take away. And it's human nature. When someone tells you, tells you something like that, and then you can come back to your family and friends or see in the newspaper that people are quoted as saying, you, you know, so-and-so can play anywhere at the, in the country. You, you're not thinking about, oh, that other stuff. Yeah, I'll work itself out. I'll figure that out. And then people keep showing you how to figure that out. But how to do that is the work. It's the fundamentals. And I think that that's where what ends up getting lost is that these players, you know, that kind of gets lost until they suddenly wind up in the NFL. And so, and, and I bring that up because, you know, Patrick Mahomes and even Josh Allen and so many other, and so many other players who are successful doing some of the things that they do, they actually practice those things and they have a fundamental, they have a regime of working at these things in a way that it's it's fundamentals up in here and when they and how they approach these things that seem to veer from the Tom Brady-esque fundamental. There is no such thing as a quarterback template. People want to tell you that and and... Everybody with a square haircut and a suit who's on an, on a big media program is going to basically use Tom Brady and Joe Burrow and now Brock Purdy at least while he's hot for the next five minutes that um, they are the standard for what quarterbacks are, okay? And really, what that is is it's a it's an a biased um, it's a subconscious bias for how a quarterback should look. Um, and B, um, but what, and so then they, so then when they look at a Patrick Mahomes or sometimes Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson or Dak Prescott, they look at those players and they'll say things like, well, he's got great talent. He's physically talented. They don't talk about the, they don't talk about the discipline and the work and the and the preparation and the technique that goes into doing some of the things that they do and the and how they prepare to be able to do some of those things they they i was just going to say two other examples outside of the quarterback position you watch Steph Curry before games in the shoot arounds Steph Curry practices half court jump shots that's right Odell, Odell Beckham Jr even before the catch practiced one-handed Grabs. I mean, he like he thought, that's something. That's he right. You do it. You know, in the same way that Bill Walsh back in the '80s practiced the catch with his team every day after practice. They ran that drill. Maybe not every day, but every regularly they ran the drill with the tight end in the back of the end zone, throwing the ball up. Every day they did that. They only used it you know, sparingly. And the one time that it really was notable is a historic play in the annals of NFL, but they practiced it. And people think that the players who do things that 
don't fit the Tom Brady, Brock Purdy, and I'm mentioning Brock Purdy right now because he's the hot name to 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 compare the Joe Burrow. They they look at those and say that's the model for quarterback. Johnny Unitas is the model for the quarterback. You know, for, you know, and that model can Johnny Unitas. Um, you know, who would be next? Dan Fouts, you know, Troy Aikman, you know, all these got Tom Brady, you know, and then so the point being is that some of these guys who are learning, they can do some of these things on the high school and college level, but they don't, but they're not really practicing it at a, at a level to, to, of knowing what situations they can apply it to and practicing them you know Mahomes had an organized way of saying I need to know how to make these types of throws I can make some of these throws how do I practice using these throws and and where are the situations where I'm going to work at that and the same way that Tom Brady goes how do I I'm going to squeeze some of these balls into coverage and I'm going to try these plays and if they fail I know I can't do that but I'm going to try it against these coverages and then now I have a selection of knowing what types of throws I can make where and so I think it's important because a lot of these players, when it comes to when they look flashy with what they're doing and what you describe, Felix, is so apt is it comes down to, are they practicing these things or are they, or are they getting away with those things? And when you start to watch it on tape and when they get to this level of college football, you start to see the separation between they're getting away with it versus that they they practice it and maybe they just pick the wrong moment to try it versus they try it in every moment and it's not working when they had an opportunity to be fun they had a pot to be fundamentally sound in a traditional way whereas i always thought patrick mahomes was fundamentally sound just in a way that was different than how tom brady is fundamentally sound and right now in our analysis spectrum People do not recognize that there are different ways to be fundamentally sound and what they apply to what's fundamentally sound is the traditional old school quarterback template and they're and instead and as a result they're kind of subcon they don't mean to do this but they're basically saying if you're doing it this way you're the smart quarterback. You're the you're the technically sound field general. And if you're Patrick Mahomes, you're the innate talent who didn't really have to work at the game, who's not really intellectual, who's just kind of winging it, you know? And and that's an aspect of conversation that I think if you told if I told, I'm just going to say it because if I told Dan Orlovsky that he was basically um, biased over his views about players or ESPN's staff, that they had a subconscious bias about that, they would be offended. They would take great offense to that just in the same way that people who really want to do not be biased in corporate America have that bias. Um, about certain things. Um, but if you broke it down over a series of conversations, they'd probably be horrified. They mean well. They're not trying to they're not trying to be biased in the ways that they are. But there's a there's a level of that that exists. And so when I see the conversations about Dak Prescott, 
and Brock Purdy, and I see this graphic that shows that the intellect for and the technique is favoring Brock Purdy, a a quarter of the year starter in the NFL, who's better, you know, who I liked, but you're gonna say he's already a more technically and intellectually advanced quarterback than Dak Prescott. Um, that's bias and that's bullshit. If you ask me, it's, they don't understand. I don't think they mean to have that bias, but there's a bias there. And I think we see that with quarterbacks in the NFL. And I think, you know, and I don't know why I got into that, but it just, I've been seeing that and it's, you know, off and on throughout on, on Twitter and seeing that this is like going on, especially cause he lost a football game to Brock Purdy and even heading into it. You know, and you're seeing it with Mahomes too. It's like Burrow's the standard. Mahomes is like, you can't teach it. It's this innate talent. It's just, it's just this God-given gift. You know, it's in his genes. You know, you might as well just say it's genetically predisposed. And that's just bullshit. It's like, it's work. There's some, there's, there's genetics involved in that we all have, you know, you know, athletic gifts or certain talents that we can, that we can bring to the fore. But what made Patrick Mahomes make the throws he did wasn't some God given gift in the same way that, that, um, you know, that Louis Armstrong just didn't like inherit like 200 years worth of like pain and, and, you know, and, horror and turned it into some beautiful thing because that's what black people do when you know and no he studied he worked he 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 worked at his craft and was a an accomplished virtuoso at what he did you, you know in the same way that Patrick Mahomes is the same thing and i think with a lot of these players especially these kids who were in college who aren't going to get there but they have to prove it. A lot of it is, a lot of it is this, Felix, is that they, they think they, they think they can just do it, and they don't realize that 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 ceiling's going to come and going to slam on the top of their head unless they've worked on it situationally. I, I, regarding uh, talent versus work, I think that in some respects. Um, it's easier and more acceptable if we explain away someone's uh, ability to perform on God-given talent because yes. that means, uh, you know, that means that oh, I'm kind of excused then if I don't give them credit for the work that they that they've put in and the time that they put in to perfect their craft, uh, and it's just based on yeah. Well, they, they, they woke up with that ability. Oh, well, then there's nothing, yeah. you know, there's nothing. I, I I couldn't be that type of player because I wasn't. I didn't have that, that I wasn't born with that ability, but then, but if we do credit it to studying the playbook, working on the feet, working with a, uh, a private quarterback tutor for, you know, hours on, on end in the off season, waking up for workouts and all that stuff, then, then what, you know, what excuse do you have, you know, and, or why do you have to, or maybe you can just accept the fact that, you know what? I wasn't creative enough in my preparation and I didn't have the skills to to exploit and develop to the hone and hone to a razor's edge 
with my feet like Patrick Mahomes to throw like that. Um, but I was good enough to get in the NFL. I was good enough to play. I just had to do it in a more traditional way. Or maybe I wanted to do things like that, but I was discouraged out of it um, through the ways that I was taught and thought this was the right way to go. And now I'm seeing something different. And there's a part of me that it kind of bugs me a little bit. Maybe I, you know, deep down, maybe it bugs me a little bit that, that I'm watching someone get to fully express themselves in a way that maybe when I was exploring, I thought this might have been cool to do and had a little bit of success with it. And a coach said, no, that's not the way you do it. You're never going to get in the NFL if you do it that way. You're going to have to, you know, get rid of that. And somebody else was able to do that. And now you're maybe low-key a little jealous. Or maybe you're low-key. Or maybe you just, maybe it's not even that subconscious. Maybe it's just, you know, you just think there's a right way to, to be a quarterback. And when you see the other thing, you just don't think that's the right way, even though there's really no, there's lots of proof that, that shows otherwise that it is the, that is a perfectly acceptable way. And so, yeah, so, you know, sorry to hijack that, but I just, you, you know, I, that, that's one of those things that's just been kind of, um, was an opportunity so now to I can explain. I, I had not paid attention. I've seen that graphic in passing, but I didn't pay super close attention to it. So now I'm going to go look at the responses on Twitter to the the graphic between uh, Dak and and uh, and Brock and Brock Purdy. Yeah, I had somebody email me close to me, email this to me, and was really kind of like, and I was so happy. I'm not going to mention who they were, but I was kind of they were emailing me and they're going am I crazy or is this just so biased? And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's typical, you know, but I, and I didn't know, I wasn't going to mention it on Twitter, but I don't know. This was a, usually this, that type of bias is reserved for Char the Charlie Casterly's of the world. So, yeah. Uh, you know, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But it, yeah. it wasn't, you know, it filtered in and it was, and I think what's fascinating is it filters in a lot with people who, who want to, who don't want to have those biases, who are trying to fight against having those biases. And I think that that's the thing that's, that's where we're, I, I almost kind of like in a cockeyed optimist sort of way would say, I'm, I'm kind of thankful that we're in a, we're in a world now or society now where some of the conversations we can begin to have and we're at the very early stages of it can be, let's now focus on the people who want to like, not have these biases, but don't realize they have them anyway, and would be like completely troubled if they were if it's brought up to them in the same way that they shame others for their blatant biases, um, you know. And I and I think that you know we're probably not ready for that conversation, um, but you know I'm I like having conversations like this, whether it's Patrick Mahomes is a good quarterback or Nick Chubb is a better than Saquon Barkley or you know, or, you know, Chris Olave, why is everybody talking about Traylon Burks when we could be talking about Chris Olave as a, as an NFL ready receiver right away. But, you know, that's the type of thing. So you may not like the, you may not like the conversations all the time about it's going to make you uncomfortable about some of the things that we talk about here. Um, but, you know, it's the same mindset that why, why you should get the rookie scouting portfolio, because I'm going to, I'm going to bring up things maybe that you haven't thought about when you're looking at a player. Um, I've been doing it for nearly 18 years um, and you get a pre-draft and post-draft with it that shows you um, really my thoughts based on rigorous examination of these players um, that's been built on a, 
uh, a process that's developed over the years to the point that now you're getting a literally 900 pages of content oftentimes just pure content not even notes you know just content that you can read about these about these four positions I study that has made the RSP one of the um, two most purchased draft guides according to um, by scouts and NFL people according to um, guys like Alex Brown the director of recruiting at SMU who meets with scouts on a weekly basis as his job to talk about the prospects at his school and he sees what these guys bring to the table in terms of independent draft guides for cross-checking purposes or just reading about some of these players year after year. And he repeatedly sees the RSP as one of these two. So if you're interested in that, especially if you're a fantasy player, because, you know, I'm not going to just, you know, box you out of all this. I'm a fantasy writer. I've been writing about fantasy since 2003. Um, so I always give a fantasy bent, even if I'm going to go deep into the football realm. Um, and you can get that for twenty one ninety five at mattwaldman.com. Um, and the post draft comes a week out after the draft and don't miss it. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll definitely not regret it, especially when you might go, usually my, my first customer, you know, one of the paths to becoming a customer is that guy's fucking crazy. I can't believe that he has this view about this guy. I have no respect for him and they turn out to be some of my most vociferous supporters um, two, three years later. Um, so the, the joke is, you know, I had someone re you know, I'll share this, who was a, a well-known Cleveland writer who literally went on Twitter and says, I have no respect for you that you have Nick Chubb ranked so highly. Um, and I offered to watch film with them and he's like, nah, I just can't do that. I just don't even have any respect for anyone doing this to do that. And I remember writing, I said, well, you know, welcome to becoming a, a future customer of the RSP. And people were tweeting back and forth, laughing, going, you know, and he, and to his credit, he had the, he had the total, he was a total man about it. And like midway through the rookie year, Nick Chubby said, I owe you an apology. Um, and you handled that well. And I'm, and I'm buying this thing from now on, you know, and you're right. I'm becoming a customer. And, you know, so I laugh because that's Twitter. That's how social media is. That's how people are. You know, you talk in a bar and somebody's like, oh, you're nuts. You know, that's stupid. So that's my, that's the end of my rant with that. The, the other, Matt, you always give the Nick Chubb example. I think that you should also give the Zach Wilson example. Because the Zach Wilson example was just so scathing and so accurate. Uh, I just, I think you should always throw that one in there too. Well, I warned us. I, warned I, us. I appreciate that. I, I, there's a lot of players I warn folks about and I get my guys wrong. I mean, like you'll, if you go on, if you go on social media and probably whether it's Twitter or Reddit, Reddit's a good place. If you always want to, if you always want to see whoever it is, get ripped apart um, go to Reddit because they will rip you apart no matter what. So I will always be known for Trey Sermon and um, Dante Pettis and um, Hakeem Butler, you, you know, and I didn't want to say it. I, I was going to let you say it. <laughs> yeah, but I will. I'll always be, you know, I'll always be known for guys like that. But those are things that, you know, Trey Sermon, I'm still waiting to see because you just don't know. You'll see, you know, I still think that there's ability there for him to, to do you can see that Dante Pettis has ability it's about whether he wants to apply himself that's what his coaches basically said when you know I, I look at it that way if um I don't study off field so if uh 
you know, if Mike Shan, if Kyle Shanahan says he could be one of the most talented receivers in the league if he applies himself, and that was at the height of him being in the doghouse in San Francisco, well, you know, I did my job. You know, that's my job. I can't, I can't do phone, I can't do private investigation. I can't do interviews with these players. Um, you know, there are uh, there are media people to interview, but there's a difference between a media interview. I've done those things. I'm not going to sit there and project what I know about a player unless I have a sit down, spend some days with them, interview around them, interview them. I'm not going to don't don't have the team time or resources to do that. And you know, and but and Butler, well, you know, I look back on it, I I probably would not have had um, AJ Brown, Justin Jefferson, or Chris Olave as highs that I did if I without the things that I learned from guys like. Um, you know, Hakeem Butler, you know, it's about learning it's about, and that's the, that's the thing that you'll get the most from the RSP is that it's constantly evolving and I'm learning from what I do and I can apply those lessons, um, to, to continue to be more successful with what, what happens and I'll make more mistakes and can, hopefully I will make more mistakes so that I can continue learning because that's, that's the process. So with that in mind, you know, I know that there are probably other players with more to prove, but let's talk a little bit about receivers since we're already kind of on that subject. You know, what is it, you know, when can it, I tee it, can I tee up the conversation? Yeah, because please do. I wanted to talk about this. Yeah. So, you know, in campus to camp leagues, essentially they're pipeline leagues. You have to develop a pipeline of, of players um, to go to your NFL team. And I think that wide receiver is like the most important and the most difficult to to uh, to to project to the NFL to keep that pipeline consistent. I think at the running back position, you know, there there are certain players and body types and athleticism types that I say, okay, yep, that's one, that's an NFL player, and those those guys are like always available, even on college waiver wires. Um, Ramondre Stevenson, <laughs> Ramondre Stevenson won. Uh, Braylon Allen, who if you're if you're a, col a casual college football fan, Braylon Allen was on the waiver wire, not drafted uh, in campus to Canton leagues. Those two come off the top of my head as players that you could have just, you know, you could have just gotten for free. Um, at the wide receiver position, Matt, it feels like there are so many different body types and skill sets that could have success. Uh, in the, just look at this class. Jackson Smith and Jigba and, and, and uh, Quentin Johnson are two totally different players. Like it should be, I think we should just have different names. We should not all call them wide receivers. And there are just so many different types of players that can have success, that can find themselves in um, really good draft capital. So, you know, I, I, I wanted to see how you frame or consider this position when you're watching the tape. Um, because it, these are some things that I need to apply when I'm watching these freshmen coming in. We got This is a good freshman wide receiver class. I've got a wide receiver who's like 5'10", is running a sub-10, 5-100-meter uh, dash time, going to, to USC, who's been compared to Tyreek Hill. But how do I... How do I evaluate whether or not he's Tyreek Hill or Wandell Robinson or, you know, uh, like, uh, 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 so that's, that's the setup, that's the setup for, the, for the conversation. Yeah. And I think it's a great, uh, I think that's a great way to start. And I think it, 
one way is I do think it begins with looking at the dimensions to begin with and saying, let's preliminarily put these players, project these players into one of the three roles that are there, flanker, split end, or slot. And then you can have subcategories with that. You can have the, the Juju Smith-Schuster um, big slot flanker role, or you can have the Tyreek Hill little slot split end role. Or, you know, so you've got, or the Justin Jefferson split end slot role. You know, you've got, you've got guys who can kind of do a little, you know, one or two roles or, or a guy like Marvin Jones, who's not really great at anything, um, but he can play all three roles. You can really put him in all three roles at the height of his career. And he would be a good starter in any of those roles. So, so when you start with that and say, all right he can potentially be in one of these three roles and then maybe one of these two sub roles um, for that. Then what you start looking at is physical skills that may compensate that like, say for instance, if you've got him pegged as a slot because he's short and he's small, then you're looking for things like, does he have unbelievable speed? Does he have unbelievable vertical leaping ability? Does he have great play strength, um, you know, to break tackles or to win against um, defenders and post up and earn position and withstand contact? And if he's got those things, then maybe that's a compensatory factor that can put him in a different role. So like Rondale Moore is a good example. When you look at Rondale Moore and you look at his size, and you'd say, that's a slot receiver, you know, off the hoof. Without looking at his game, you just say, that's a slot receiver. Now, let me watch his game. Well, super quick. So, you know, is he, let's say if Rondale Moore had great downfield speed. Um, if super quick, great downfield speed, maybe he could be an outside receiver. But I need to see, can he earn position against a bigger defender? Can he, can he earn position and outleap the guy? Does he time his leaps well? Does he track the ball well? Does he, um, can he, can he pull away? Yeah, he can, can he pull away? Felix just typed in Josh Downs. Can Josh Downs be an outside receiver that way? Can he pull away from defenders one-on-one -on -one when he's getting pressed? Can he, can he like, win physically there and be have a man draped on him earn the position take the contact and just easily win the ball and if the answer is no i don't care what he runs at the combine i don't care what his speed is i what i care about is if he's consistently can't do these things and it's not because and he technically has some of the skills to do it but it's just not translating he's a slot receiver you know, or if he's just can't, you know, so I'm looking for things to be physical or technical compensatory factors to say this belies his size and it can put him in a different, um, in a different sub role or role. So that's one of the things that I look for. Then from a, go ahead. As you're, as you're sitting there explaining, like, you know, it's almost like, um, like here's the skill set that that this player needs to have um 
between zero and three to four yards down the field. Here's the skill set they need they need to have further down the field between fifteen and, and twenty yards down the field. So that's uh you know, as you were talking, that's, that's a that's good way of putting it. Kind of what was what was going through my head. That's a, that's a great way of classifying, it. and that, I think that's very true. Is that it's the skill sets at the line of scrimmage, it's the skill sets during the stem, um, and it's the skill sets at the catch point. You look at a guy like Romeo Dubs. Let's say Romeo Dubs versus Christian Watson. This is a good way of looking at that. Is because both of them are high end athletes. Um, you know, I know that. I think Greg Cosell, the great Greg Cosell, talked about Romeo Dubs as being Marquise Valdez Scantling, or being um, being no, he talked about um, Christian Watson being Marquise Marquez Valdez Scantling. I had Romeo Dubs as Marquise Valdez Scantling. Um, he wasn't as high on Watson. He was higher on Dubs. I wasn't as high on Dubs. I was higher on Watson. And and one of the things that happens is that when you look at Dubs. His game, his game, when you look at it, is he's eventually going to be a good, he could eventually be a good split end um, because he has the speed, he's got the length, he's got the size that you're looking for to be, to be a split end. But he's, but he's not at the final phase of the cat, of the, of the, of the game, which is that basically from the break to the catch, that's where his game suffers the most. Um, so when you look at that, you go, well, you can't be a split end if that's not the strength of your game. You, you know, if you're if the strength of your game, but Christian Watson, even though he dropped passes, that was a strength of his game. Like you could see that he made plays and that the, the, that the lapses he had were focused lapses or minor minor technique lapses and minor tech you know and that's that's another thing is what's a major technique issue and what's a minor technique issue so major technique issues that are are things that are harder to teach harder to learn once you've gotten to this stage of the game because you've already and and I hate to go this far back but I think it's important when you learn you're learning football your body's your instrument and how you the techniques that you express with your body get ingrained from Pop Warner football through the college game. And you've had thousands of hours playing in the backyard, playing in practice, playing in games, playing in all-star games, playing in college to hone these things. Now, some of us had the some people had the opportunity to get coaching from an early age. And they went to a tutor and they had the skills and they developed it and they had an approach to learn certain things in a manner where this is the most optimal way to track the football. This is the most optimal way to use your hands to catch the ball. Um, and then there are others that they had to learn it basically on their own, but they had the skills to figure out how to practice it the right way or they picked up from watching other people or other people taught them things along the way and they happened to go down the right path but a lot but no matter what path you went whether you had the tom brady suburban quarterback or you were like a kid who grew up with you know with not a lot of resources other than watching older players who were successful in front of you watching tv 
and picking up the right things from the right players on TV and going out in the backyard and saying, DeAndre Hopkins always caught the ball like this when he went up for it. And, or DeAndre Hopkins always positioned himself this way. Or DeAndre, or he and Randy Moss never showed their hands until the ball was directly overhead. And they were literally smart enough, wise enough, astute enough to pick up these things. No matter what side of that spectrum you're on, you're going to have gaps because you can't learn it. You're very few people are going to learn everything. And you're going to have certain things that you practiced over and over and over again that is suboptimal. And so certain things, for some people, it is the easier things to correct are hand position. Are you Gabe Davis and you clap on the ball? Well, if someone just bothers to show you why this is wrong, it may take you a long time to fix that compared to where to compared to what you've done because you have to unlearn it and relearn it. But it's still a motor issue that you can fix because it's not that hard of a technique. It's the difference between doing this and the difference between doing that. And you, you know, maybe it's the difference between understanding how to put your hands together as opposed to arcing your hands together. Um, and literally spending time and saying, you know what, I'm going to sit at a jugs machine for 20 minutes every day and, and, and not try to look good doing it for the reporters, not try and do the stuff that my, my peers are doing who were in our twenties and trying to look slick. I'm going to sit here and act like a four-year-old being taught and go slow motion for maybe five minutes doing this type of stuff and then progress to where you're doing it fast. So where now you can catch the ball. So now that at the game level, it's automatic that when you high point a ball, you're not doing this, you're doing this. And that's that takes methodical work. But that's an, you know, catch point stuff's easy technique for that. But tracking is a good example of something that's very hard. If you can't track a ball thrown over your head and look it in at the college level, good luck at the pro level fixing that. That's much harder to do because it takes, it. you're running, you're accounting for multiple facets of things happening at the same time and it's already ingrained in you and that's a harder thing to learn. CeeDee Lamb had an excellent catch this weekend. Um, with the defender trailing, the ball was underthrown. It was a deep ball. And his being able to slow down, high point, take the contact from the, def- the defender. He drew a uh, pass interference play. Uh, and and then in, in, in high point, the ball catches it at its highest point and come down with the catch. Um, that is something that you don't see every player do. And, and a player that I want to bring up who it didn't, I did not see do that at the college level is LaVisca Chenault. Yes. Um, there are plays where, and I, and I could tell that he was having problems tracking the ball because you see him looking at the ball and he would change his stride length and speed several times because he just wasn't seeing it. Uh, we had this conversation about LaVisca Chenault versus us, this CD lamb catch in our Slack channel. And I just, I can remember plays from LaVisca Chenault seeing seeing this on, on deeper passes again, where he's, you know, 
speeding up and then slowing down and speeding up and not seeing where that ball is going to land. And I suspect, let's visit the Chanel played at Colorado. There's like a bunch of great athletes at Chicago, at Colorado, three years. He had like one punt return at Colorado. And I think that that's why. I think the coaches saw that he had ball track issues. Uh, and so he didn't he didn't return return punts there. Um, by the way, co- coaches notoriously conservative with punt, their punt returners. Uh, uh, we so anyway. Um, yeah. But it's just a, a, I thought of it because it was something we talked about. Uh, yeah, it's a perfect example. With, with yeah, it's a perfect example. And I wish I had seen that about Lavisca Chenault, to be honest with you, because um, he's a player I certainly missed on. I was very high on, and that's a and that and that's a very good point about him. Um, so yeah, catch point things like um, tracking, taking contact. If you can't take contact at the college level, hard contact. Like if you can't get smacked and come down with a football. Um, and you don't see evidence of someone at least making one or two catches that way, you don't have to see a ton of them. You only need to see a few of them. And, you know, now if they drop every ball, but they catch one or two, but they drop most of them and you, you know, that's a more of a concern. But like, yeah, catch point toughness, you either have it or you don't at this stage. It's too ingrained. But you, but do you, you don't need that like if you're a slot wide receiver. You're doing the intermediate stuff. The cat, the cat. I mean, I'm, I'm actually, I'm asking a question. Like, if yeah. you, if you are not that type of, if you don't have that ability, um, to track the ball, to make the tough catches at the catch point with contact, that doesn't mean that you're excluded. You just might have a different role. You might be, you know, somebody who just, who doesn't have to make contested catches. I mean, I don't know that yeah. Hunter Ren. I don't know that Hunter Renfro has to make a whole lot of contested catches, but. He, he gets open yeah. in the in the slot. Now, now at the same time, if you were Wes Welker, you got smacked around pretty good. So, um, so it depends on your offense. Like if you're running a lot of, if you're running a lot of routes that are against zone, and they're not tight zones, you're not going to need that. If you're running a lot of sail routes as the as a slot receiver, and they're using you to the boundary, um, or you're using you as a big play slot where you're just tracking the ball and you take contact, that's fine. But if you're working the middle of the field and you're working between the hashes and tight zones, yeah, then you've got to have it. I think flankers, I think flankers and certain slot receivers need that. Some split ends, what they need is to me is tracking and be able to have a guy hanging on you. There's a difference between like getting, having contact and being hit. And I think that, you know, at the boundary, more often you're dealing with, contact posting up earning position getting getting in front of guys jostling with you know not getting distracted by someone hanging on you um that's a bigger deal but in the middle of the field that's where you when you're running that post that dig um and there's a safety bearing down on you and you know that you've you're gonna have to take a hit that could concuss you um unfortunately that to me is the difference, you know, like a DJ Moore, DJ Moore is the type of player. When you look at him and go, you're going to have to take contact and he's willing to do so. He's willing to stick his nose in there. Amon Ross ain't Brown, I think has some of that is a good example of that. But if you're, 
you know, if you're a, honestly, if you're, you know, I mean, even Juju Smith-Schuster, you see that. I mean, the fact that, especially with what he's been through, the fact that he'll come back and do that, that tells you there are some players. Anquan that, Bolden. Anquan Bolden. Bolden. Yeah. Have his yeah. face broken. You know, that, you know, that's a tough thing. Austin Collie. Austin Collie could have been Cooper Cup in if if he had the right um if he didn't get hurt as much as he did. He had the talent to be Austin Collie before Austin Collie. Um but he got concussed so often his career uh, essentially was you know ended on that level, but he had that kind of talent. Um and the willingness to do it, which is kind of the sad the tough end of football. But, you know, when we're talking about receivers, I would say the things that you can, that what's tough is there are so many facets. You know, when I study players, I literally have over a hundred things I'm looking at for wide receivers. Well, from the route running perspective, these things are teachable if you have the physical skills to bend, you know, for the most part. So for like split ends, you're looking, and flankers, you're looking at guys who can drop their weight and stop at, a, at suddenly. For, for guys who are big slot receivers, maybe you don't need that so much. Or certain split ends, you don't need that as much. But what they need to be able to bring is they need to be able to run certain types of routes and certain offenses. So really a lot about this is going, figuring out what type of offense, you know, what type of offenses have certain um, types of split ends or certain types of flankers or certain types of, of um slot receivers and where they might fit um and then what type of skills they have to fit that that range and what may happen is they get drafted somewhere where none of that applies you know where like maybe you have a small slot receiver who's tough at the catch point um but he's not unbelievably fast like hunter renfro hunter renfro is a good example of a guy that was an afterthought but then started to get opportunities and then you saw like how good he could be in the role that he's in. But now we're looking at a league that may be getting rid of slot receivers to the degree of what they were. You know, maybe we're not going to use them as often with a lot of these gap style concepts where we're running and we need guys to block and a small receiver like him's not going to hold up, you know, as a blocker when we're running these types of plays against nickel, we want to use a second tight end or we want to use a bigger slot receiver on that end. And so some of this is a lot of receiver stuff is about fit, but I would say techniques that you're looking at are, um, you know, if they don't have a players can learn press coverage, how to defeat press coverage. Um, it's a, but it's a, but you need to see signs of them doing it. Like you need to see if they have very few techniques coming out of school, um, then it's going to be a longer road because they're raw and they're going to have to learn some because it's not just about using their hands. It's about knowing when to use their hands. It's about being able to guess what the defender's doing and being able to like do it quickly and combine moves in a way that are convincing. It's a craft. It's not just saying he needs to learn how to do a wipe and he needs to learn how to do a swim and then he needs to learn how to do a double up it's more like you want to see guys showing that right now like they've shown their abcs they know their abcs and one two threes but they may not know how to form 
compelling sentences. You know, just because you can talk doesn't mean you know how to do stand-up comedy and be funny. You know, so it's the same thing. Like just because you can get in the line of scrimmage and in practice, you can do a wipe, a swim, you know, um, you can do a swat and you can do a double up and a, and a quick two doesn't mean that you can face a defender and know how to get in his head and know when to apply those things and when to play variations off of it and know which route to apply these things with. Like you may, there are certain routes that maybe these things don't work well on and you're, and that's the only thing you do. Like once they figure out that you just do a quick two and a wipe on every type of route, they're going to shut you down. So it's, it's, so sometimes it's about having a wide vocabulary of skills with routes, releases, stem manipulation, showing some craft at being able to how to do it. Um, and then showing some craft at positioning yourself at the catch point and tracking the ball and then making the play. And I think that where people miss out is all that craft that's in between, like showing as much of that technical skill and that range to be able to do it. Or if they don't have that, that they have undeniably great athletic ability that is dominant and they show some skills that can be built on. Because like you can be a, you don't have to be an Odell Beckham. I have every move, every route, every press release move in the book. And I can write some things or Devontae Adams. And I can create, I've even written some of my own stuff into this book that people have. You can also be a guy who basically has three moves try and stop me because you can't because I have great athletic ability and I can do these three things and you know it's one of these three things coming um, and if I guess wrong with one I'm screwed if I guess right even if I guess right with it I'm still in a tough situation I still I, I'm still like playing them from getting to end and it's work so that's why it's a tough position and and guessing that at the college level is tough because it comes down to projecting, you know, every time I see, that's the third thing is projecting what you see is like, is the, when you watch someone make a play, are you projecting, what would he do if the, of a guy, can he do this with a guy glued on him, you know, or did he only do this because the guy was five yards, covering him was five yards away? Would he make this play? Um, would he make this catch behind him? Um, would he make this type of play if the ball was thrown behind him with more velocity and away from his break point? Would he make, would he get open if the defender um, got the first contact on him at the line of scrimmage? Would he have gotten off of that? You, you know, so you could say, well, I've seen him defend. That's press. a, that's a big one just because, you know, there's not a whole lot of teams that press at the, at the collegiate level, especially like not in the slot. Nobody in the slot is getting pressed. No, um, it's so, yeah. So, so that's the thing you, you look for is like, can he win? Can he win against that? Does he dictate the action? Because the guys, that's another good key. If you're dictating the action with your hands with press coverage, even though you don't get pressed a lot, you're probably going to be good because you're confident and you're attacking first. And the guys who established their rhythm went, that's why Cooper Cup was going to be good because Cooper Cup dictated. 
he dictated all the time and he and he was comfortable doing what he did even when you rarely saw him pressed you could go to all-star games and this is the other thing if you're you're going to watch all-star games these next few weeks and when you watch some of this stuff watch the press release drills on tv the guys who the first day watch and see if they use the same move every time nick vanette was a good example nick vanette everyone was, was talking about him like he was rob gronkowski the first day had the same move every time. Nobody was taking it to him either. He just was dictating. And then day two came. Day two, every cornerback, every safety put their hands on him and he dropped every ball every time they put their hands on him because he wasn't dictating and he couldn't overcome someone dictating to him. And he was pretty much quiet the rest of the week. Uh, You know, whenever, whenever something for real was happening and so when you watch receivers and tight ends can they handle can they come up with different moves against different defenders when a defender does handle them one time or are defenders now going in line going yeah you know um nick vanette just just jam him once give him a good shove or just at the top of his stem ride him and yank him a little bit or give him an elbow or swat at him and distract him. And he just, he melts like ice cream when you do that, you know, and they know they're going to talk to each other and say that because they're, you know, they're all competing friendly, but they're also kind of like they're friends. You know, you're in a position room together. You're hanging out together. You're both trying to make it. You're probably going to go, you're probably going to go. Yeah, man, this guy, he can't handle this. And so it's the same thing when you, does the guy have to make multiple moves to win? Like, can he be efficient with what he does? Braxton Miller's a good example. Is he doing is he doing like the moves that I would try to do against Felix because I never played football if he and I he was trying to cover me one on one on my best day and somehow I went back twenty years and was in some modicum of shape, you know, would I try to do Braxton Miller like moves and Felix would go well, that's great in a two-way go situation, but, you know, I'm going to cover you outside and you're shut down, you know, or am I going to be efficient with what I do and and be able to, like, do one or two things in a short period of time quickly? So, you know, those are some things that I, that I guess come to mind. I know it's a rambling answer. But... No. Can I summarize? It's a, yeah, uh, please. I think uh, I want to summarize the, the highlights. So, um body type for what position they would what which yeah. one of the three positions that they would play catching with uh the fundamental technique catching while taking contact uh in different areas of the field so over the o- over your shoulder uh on deep routes um taking contact to the body over the middle being able to do that taking contact or taking catching the ball with someone draped on you earning position Um, early enough so that you have you have ideal position to make an efficient catch and you don't have to make a crazy acrobatic catch jamal jamar chase stefan diggs perfect examples of guys who when you see them jump up for the ball they're going straight up for it and it looks like an easy catch it's because they've tracked and learned how to 
they they anticipated how to get earned position against the defender at the final phrase of the route. That's another one. And um, press coverage. What's the press coverage? The moves and press coverage, and then uh, dictating. uh, Dictating being dictating and then being efficient with releases. Yeah. Dictating and also being able to handle when someone dictates to you and you can overcome that. And, and that's when you're really good. Like if you can have someone dictate their rhythm early and then you can figure out a way to reestablish your rhythm. And that's really at any position, really that, that, that final one I'm learning more and more because I watch a lot of boxing stuff and it so applies to everything in football is if someone, yeah, there you go. If someone dictates, if you can dictate your rhythm and maintain that, you're winning. If someone dictates their rhythm on you, can you can you foil that and then dictate it and then you know dictate your own, overcome that. So those are um, you'll see that with every position with football. So listen, this was fun. I mean, it's nice to get back in the swing of this. Um, you know, it took a couple of turns. I think we can probably come back next, you know, in a couple of weeks and talk about some more players that have something to prove that we didn't get to. Oh yeah. I've got, I've definitely got, I, I only think I've only identified three. I've got, I've got, I've got more. Yeah. I've so got more. I won't spill the tea. We'll, we'll continue with that. And I'm sure we got some other things we can, we'll be talking about down the line with the draft coming up. And again, head over to campus to where Felix and, and his crew do excellent work. And you're going to get a lot out of that in terms of Devi analysis, um, you know, the and getting to play the game. Just, high, you know, college and NFL fantasy combined to one squad, basically. One roster. Awesome stuff. Head over to Campus to Canton. Get your RSP. It'll be available April 1st. As long as um, I continue getting my three players done a day um, through through March, that's kind of where I'm at. And um, I'm about to finish my, I'll be at 50 running backs watched probably by the end of today. Um, and I'll be done with running backs in about two days, um, two, three days. And I'll be heading over to wrap up my wide receiver portion, um, you know, probably for the next half of the month and, and finish up with tight ends and get the book started to write starting to write that in march so you can head over to that at mattwaldman.com thanks again everyone and uh we will catch you in a couple weeks